Welcome to Vast National Bank. How can I help you? Hey, I'm here to talk to someone about a loan. Oh, I'll grab you the L97B. <laughs> we call it the just talking form. What about actually applying for a loan? Oh my, let me pop in a new toner cartridge. Hey Bill, wanna pass me the big stapler? Yeah, I'm gonna try a community bank. Skip the mega bank. When you need a loan, find a community bank at banklocally.org. The Oracle Network. Look deeper. Two brothers, two disappearances, 11 years and 70 miles in between them. Both were with groups when they fell behind and were never seen again. These are the stories of Michael Palmer and Charles Palmer. Welcome back, or welcome to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, who is just fascinated with all things unexplainable, and these two disappearances truly are. All of our links are in the description below, but I would like to mention one thing quickly. Our Patreon mini-episode for the month of May is out now on the case of Sandra Bland, There is much more to her story than a five-minute dashcam video and a suicide. Also on Patreon, we have early access to the main episodes, bonus articles, and candid crime chats with me. Go check it out. But now let's get into the case of the Palmer Brothers' disappearances. Michael Palmer had gotten permission from his parents to stay the night at a friend's house on June 3rd of 1999. It wasn't often that all of his friends were able to relax and hang out, so he was extremely excited for it. He would be staying with three of his other friends who were all 15 at the time, so I'm sure it consisted of awkward talk about girls and very ancient video games. However, the four boys had bigger plans for that night. They heard of a graduation party, and they were planning to secretly go. They were going to be staying in a separate outhouse at their friend's home instead of the main house, so it would be very easy for them to sneak out and back in at their leisure. After sneaking out, their plan was to ride their bikes, a total of nine miles, to the Meadow Lake subdivision where the party was taking place. This plan to arrive at the party went off without a hitch, and they got into the party just as planned. Since it was a high school party, there was, of course, alcohol, and that was one of the main reasons for the boys wanting to go. It was later reported that Michael had only had a few beers and nothing more. He seemed, for all intents and purposes, relatively sober and in his right mind. The group hung out for a few hours and chatted up some older classmen while trying to look as cool as possible. But around 4am, all members of the group were getting tired 
and decided that it may be time to head home and get some sleep. Saying goodbye to those that they had socialized with that night, all four boys got on their bikes and traveled off into the very dark morning. Although Michael had not had more to drink than any of the others, and was not any less physically able, he seemed to fall behind the other three. The group of boys just chucked it up to him being tired, and continued on until they got to a 7-Eleven on the highway. There they sat and waited for Michael to catch up so they could all get back home. After a while, they started to think it was odd that Michael had not caught up, and eventually, Michael would never arrive. The boys thought it a little bit odd that Michael was never seen going past them, and they saw no sign of him on the road behind them, but the three fabricated an explanation in their minds. Maybe he had just ended up biking home due to being so far behind the group. This brought up a question for me, though. All four boys knew they were not supposed to be out at that time, so why would they think Michael would risk getting in trouble and going home rather than just going back to his friend's house? Nevertheless, the three boys continued on their way, snuck back in, and climbed in their comfy makeshift beds for the night. Early that morning, Michael's mother called the friend's home in search of Michael, but was informed that all of the boys were still sleeping in the outhouse. So she accepted this answer and went on her way to work. When she arrived home around 3 p.m., there was no trace of Michael ever coming home, and she thought that was very odd. She decided to call the friend's house once again, thinking maybe he had just stayed later or something along those lines. When she did call, though, she was informed that Michael was not there currently, and had actually not slept there that night. At this point, he had essentially been missing for over 11 hours. So she called the police station and reported him missing right away. Searches began immediately, as Michael was considered endangered missing. Police would not find Michael himself, but what they would find was curious in itself. In Little Susitna River, on the outskirts of Wasilla, Alaska, which is where all of those involved in this case lived, a bike was found. It was reported that it was just like the one that Michael had been riding that night. Later, Michael's oldest brother would bring this into question, stating that he does not believe this was his bike. About 200 feet away from the river, near a private airstrip, were shoes that were the same size and brand as those Michael was wearing when he went missing. Even creepier is the fact that they were found neatly placed side by side with only one shoelace untied. No other trace of Michael Palmer was ever found in Wasilla, Alaska or anywhere else. Michael's family immediately became suspicious of the story that his three friends were telling of that night. They think that it is not a real story. They think these boys are fabricating a story to hide what really happened or to protect someone or themselves. Because of this, the family hired two PIs to look into the case. One was eventually forced to leave the town due to death threats that were being thrown at them for an unknown reason. 
It is assumed that these death threats had to do with her investigating the case, which would mean there was more to the story, and someone didn't want her to figure it out. The other PI claims to have uncovered rumors, but nothing more, that Michael never actually left the grad party that night. Some state that he was kidnapped or killed while attending that party. To back this up, it was reported that there were fights breaking out at this party, and sadly, Michael's father believes something along these lines is why his son has never been found. A few months into the investigation, a witness came forward claiming something crazy. They stated that they saw someone beat up Michael viciously that night and then shoot him on the bridge. However, later on, they completely recanted this story, stating that they had fabricated it. Another theory in this case is simply that Michael fell into the river and succumbed to hypothermia. However, if this happened, then how did his shoes get on the airstrip? And this theory is disputed by scent dogs that were unable to trace Michael's scent to this area. Michael would be 36 years old as of today, and he is still considered endangered missing. When he went missing, he was 5 foot 6 inches and 110 pounds, with blonde brown hair and blue eyes. Another telltale sign is that he is left-handed. When he disappeared, his hair was shaved on the sides and longer on top. He was wearing a t-shirt, jeans, and a black jacket with red stripes on the sleeves and the Marlboro logo on the lapel. He went missing from Wasilla, Alaska on June 4th, 1999. At that time, he was making future plans with his family and was not seeming to be a troubled teen, so it is unlikely he ran away from home. This was only the first tragedy in the Palmer family. Charles Palmer was the middle son in the family. He, his older brother, his stepfather, and some friends decided to take a vacation together in April of 2010. It would be somewhat of a guy's trip, mostly consisting of outdoor adventure activities. So, they all traveled 70 miles north to the Talkeetna Mountains and brought their snowmobiles. Their first day out on the trip was April 10th, 2010, and they decided it was the perfect day to go snowmobiling. The weather was nice, and there was no snow in the forecast. Charles was extra excited, because he was all new to snowmobiling. He had just bought his first one, and couldn't wait to get going on the trails. Everyone in the group, besides Charles' older brother, went out on their snowmobiles that day. The older brother wanted to go along, but a handle had snapped on his snowmobile, so he had to stay back and fix it. The group had a fun day exploring the trails and teaching Charles the ins and outs of snowmobiling. Later, the group would state that until 7.15 p.m., Charles was with them. He had been in the back of the group, 
but no one noticed that he was falling behind until something odd happened. At 7.15 p.m., though, he was seen traveling away from them and away from the cabin. In some reports, it is stated that no one in the group went after Charles to try and find him. However, other reports state that they did go onto the trails looking for him and simply could not find any sign of him. When Charles disappeared that night, he was dressed for the weather, but had no other survival supplies with him. Thinking that he would find his way back, despite not having a GPS, the group waited until the next morning to report him. They only reported him then because a snowstorm had swept in, and they then became much more worried for him. But it was still a 12-hour delay in calling the authorities. Searches started even in the worsening conditions, but they couldn't last long that day. The next day, searches began again, and it seems the group of men Charles was with found his snowmobile before investigators did. It was 12 miles away from the cabin and in very deep snow. It had reportedly snowed about 28 inches. Even with this snow, there were no footprints around the snowmobile or any sign that Charles had been there. Nevertheless, police stated that Charles must have gotten stuck and walked off to try and find the trail and the cabin once again. After five days, searches were called off due to bad conditions, but nothing besides the snowmobile was ever found. Charles' older brother would state he believes Charles was unable to move as fast as the rest of the group, and when he fell behind, he got disoriented. This is when he began to go the wrong way, thinking he would find his way back to the cabin on his own. I can only imagine that in a full world of snow, it could be very disorienting. In May of 2010, a search for Charles' body took place, along with 40 experienced searchers and search dogs, but nothing was found. This happened again in June with no luck. No glove or piece of fabric was ever found. Neither was the helmet that Charles had been wearing the day he went missing. Charles would be about 40 years old today, and he is still considered lost or injured missing. At the time of his disappearance, he was 5 foot 8 inches to 6 feet tall, 135 to 160 pounds, with brown hair and blue eyes. He was wearing a black jacket and vest, black snow pants, black boots, and a black helmet. He was last seen in Talkeetna, Alaska, on April 10th, 2010. In April 2011, he was declared legally dead. Eventually, a fire chief who was well-known and helped in the searches came forward with a theory. He states that he believes, to this day, that this had to have been an alien abduction, because there is no other explanation for it. He says that there was no sign of footprints and no sign of Charles being in the area, so he couldn't have walked off. Some others believe that Charles succumbed to the, quote, critter element. This is where a body is so badly eaten and scattered by animals that it is never found. However, in a report, 
It was said that during searches, there were almost no animal tracks found around the area, so that would point heavily against that theory. These two disappearances are so similar in what the group say happened. Both missing people fell behind the group and just disappeared after that with no trace. Reading these really reminded me of missing 411 cases. Obviously, Alaska has a lot less people and a lot more nature, and it would be easy to get lost. But the descriptions of Michael and Charles show people happy with their lives, excited for the future, and just in a good mental state overall. So it is highly unlikely that either of these were voluntary disappearances. Since there has never been any sign of them found anywhere, including no bodies or bones, we can only assume that they did not stay in the area where they disappeared, and that generally points to foul play. If you don't know what a missing 411 case is, I suggest you look it up. These are cases that occur in rural areas or national parks, and these individuals go missing. Sometimes a body is found. In a few cases, the person has been found alive. But the things surrounding the disappearance are just so odd. And in order to be considered a missing 411 case, it has to have those pieces within it. And it also has to be noted that it was not a voluntary disappearance and not a mental health problem that made them disappear. And we can kind of confidently say that with this case. So it is very confusing to me. However, with no evidence of where either of these individuals went, it's really hard to say what kind of foul play took place and where they are today. With the case of Michael Palmer, I believe it could be logical that someone picked him up off the road and took him somewhere, and thus disposed of his bike and the shoes. I always wonder if they contacted the person whose airstrip that was. Did they investigate them? Because that is where the shoes were found, and it was close to where the bike was found. So it seems they would be somewhat of a suspect. That seems like a good idea to me on what happened in that case. And by now, I sadly think that Michael is deceased just because children who are kidnapped are not often kept alive. However, in the case of Charles, I don't know what happened because it doesn't look like he walked away or anyone else walked around there. There were no footprints and really no animal prints either. So for him to just vanish seems extremely odd. I kind of agree with the fire chief here. He had to have been like picked up and brought somewhere else because there's no other way to get out of that area without walking or crawling or something along those lines. It just doesn't make sense. This was a much shorter episode than normal. I know with like the Carly Gouzet case, I was about an hour long episode and now we're down to 
20 minutes, two weeks later, and I'm very sorry about that. But this case, or these cases, were just so interesting to me because people go missing all the time, but two people from the same family in similar circumstances yet so far apart is just mind-boggling. I cannot wrap my head around it, and I feel so deeply for the family because this must have been tragic, having to relive this whole thing a second time 11 years later. I don't know. I hope you enjoyed the cases, and I hope you learned a little bit about Michael Palmer, Charles Palmer, or even just missing 411. Once again, I highly recommend you go look that up because those cases are truly baffling. Remember to follow us on Twitter for more case updates at Great Unsolved and on Instagram at Great Unsolved Podcast. All of our social links are below as well as our Patreon links. And remember that tomorrow at 8 p.m. Central Time, I will be on Get Vocal live. So come join the chat. If you just want to view the live, you can go on our YouTube or on our Periscope. Anyways, stay safe and have a great day. The Great Unsolved is a partner of the Oracle Network. To my newborn baby boy, the day you arrived was one of the happiest days of my life. Right up there with the day I bought my RV from that guy on the internet and insured it with Progressive. (laughs) What a deal. Just know, son, I'll always be here for you. And by here, I mean in the middle of absolutely nowhere. In my RV. Protect your baby with an RV policy from Progressive. Take as little as four minutes to see what you could save at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.